0: I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're joining me on Awaken to Grace, because today we are walking our way through our study of the Lord's Prayer in a series called Kingdom Come. Today we come to the all-important part of Christ's Prayer, where he says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, for many Christians, this is the most difficult part of the Lord's Prayer, And the reason why is because, as we're going to see in today's sermon, we have all sinned against God. That's why we need to be forgiven our debts. And we have all been sinned against. For every one of us, people have hurt us, betrayed us, walked out on us. Just as we have all sinned against God, we have all sinned against. Well, friends, the Bible gives us a great remedy. And the remedy is called God's forgiveness. And when you and I experience the forgiveness of God, then that enables us to give that same forgiveness toward others. I hope you'll stay with me through this entire episode as we explore what it means to forgive others their debt, what they owe us, because God has forgiven our debt, what we owe God. Matthew chapter 6, we are in a series called Kingdom Come. This is a study through the Lord's Prayer. Let me just recap for a moment so we're all on the same page this morning. We began uh, a few weeks ago, this is week 4, and a few weeks ago we began looking at the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us, remember, this is the model prayer. He's teaching us how we ought to pray. And one of the number one things that you need to know about the Lord's Prayer is that there is a divine order. There is a sequence to it. And so the divine order of prayer is, number one, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, the divine order is to reverence. It is to acknowledge. It is to worship the name of God. Now this is so important because so many of us, we jump the gun and we bring our needs before God and that's it. And we jump right into the needs of our life. Whereas the right order is to reverence God the right order is to worship God the right order is to say God above all of my needs above all of my trials above all of my temptations above all my weakness God your name is above it all and you know what happens when you get that divine perspective then the things going on in your life take the right perspective And instead of those things looking so big, no, then God begins looking so big. Amen? So we reverence the name of God. We called week one the person of the prayer. We talked about the fatherhood of God and how God is not like earthly fathers who have the ability, who have the potential to let us down. No, God is our heavenly father and he will never fail. That was week one, the person of the prayer. Week two was the priority of the prayer. Again, rather than praying for our needs immediately, then what's the next of the divine order? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we get the priority straight in our own lives, when we began to live for the glory of God, we began to live for the name and for the renown of God, when we began to live that God's kingdom would come, On earth as it is in heaven. And how did we define that? Remember we said in heaven there is absolutely no resistance to the will of God. Think about that. There's no rebellion to the will of God. There is no sin to the will of God. And you know what happens when you live such a surrendered, such a humble such an obedient and a righteous life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what happens as you yield yourself and you humble yourself and you submit yourself to the will of God? And when there is no resistance in you, when there's no rebellion in you, when you are submitted to the will of God, you know what that is? That's the kingdom of God being exercised in your life. That is God's kingdom coming on the earth. That's His will being done on the earth as it is in heaven. What a beautiful thing. Last week, in week three, we talked about the provision of the prayer. What's the provision? Give us this day our daily bread. And oh, how I enjoyed preaching last week. Oh, what a great journey, amen. Today... Today we're going to talk about the pardon of the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us or trespass against us or as we forgive our debtors. Let's explore this today. I have such a deep appreciation for this line of the Lord's Prayer. And I appreciate so much that Jesus does not shy away From the reality. The reality is that each and every one of us have sinned against God. And the reality is, for each and every one of us, someone has sinned against us. The reality is, sin creates pain. And there are many of you listening today whether you're in the building or watching online, there are many, many of you who love the Lord Jesus Christ. You love His Word and you love God, but there's a roadblock. For many, there is a barrier to you going your next steps with God. There is a barrier to spiritual maturity and it's pain. I want to explain to you today how you can get past the pain. I'm going to explain to you today the remedy that God gives. And I'm telling you, my friend, this is a remedy straight from the throne of God. God has a remedy for not only the sin that we commit against God, but for the sins that are committed against us. America is a nation of debt. Are we not? Currently our national debt is 28 trillion dollars. And they're not done. Our debt is growing exponentially. Our debt is a scary matter. We are a nation of debt. But let me explain to you debt today is not What debt was in Jesus' day. Debt does not mean today what it meant to this audience that Jesus is teaching to. See, for us today, debt usually means a whole lot of stress. Debt can mean tension in our home and in our marriage. Debt can create ulcers and headaches. And all kinds of health issues. Debt can even bring embarrassment. But see, the people that Jesus was speaking to, do you know what debt meant? Debt meant prison. Debt was a prison sentence. They would imprison those with debt be in hopes that it would put pressure on the family to pay the debt. And see, when we think prison, we think of those who have been criminals well in jesus day you didn't go to prison and serve out a prison term for being a criminal you were executed you remember who jesus died between two criminals two thieves debt back then listen jails were not filled with criminals debt jail was filled with debtors And so they knew well the ramifications. When Jesus said they understood the consequences when Jesus used the word debt. The Greek word for debt literally means to owe something. And today I want to ask the question, have you ever considered the debt that you owe to God? And what do you do With the debt that other people owe to you. There's a biblical answer for both. The purpose of this prayer is to teach us that we have committed offense. That we have sinned against God. And it's also to tell us what to do when others sin against us. This prayer is the foundation of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. It's the very foundation. Because notice what this prayer does not say. It does not say. Forgive us our debts. Because. We forgive our debtors. Doesn't say that does it? It says forgive us our debts. As we. Forgive our debtors. This prayer. For many Christians. Is the most difficult prayer. Of the entire Lord's model for praying. Is this a difficult passage for you? It very well may be. See. This prayer teaches us. This line in the prayer. This is what it teaches us. There's a response. That is created in us when we sin against God. And there's a response created in us when people sin against us. When we sin against God, and if you're taking notes, I want you to note this. When we sin against God, the response that we feel as humans is guilt. We feel the weight of the guilt of our sins. When people sin against us, the response that as humans we tend to feel is bitterness. Both are highly toxic for a Christian. Both is poison to our soul. And what I so much appreciate about the Lord's Prayer... Now, again, I remind you, precious friends, the order. We reverence the name of God. Hallowed be thy name. We appeal to our Father and see the more sensitive We Listen, the closer we grow to the Father, the more sensitive, the more aware we are of sin. Does that make sense to you? And the divine order is that as we call, as we appeal to our Father, we begin to worship the name of God. Then the priority comes His kingdom and then His will. And see, what happens is it's not God's will for you to carry guilt today. It's not God's will for you to have bitterness in you today. And so it brings us to a crossroads that as we grow in our sincerity of our worship to God, it causes us to deal with our sin and the sins that others have committed against us. So if I'm going to have the will of God functioning in my life, if I'm going to have the will of God at work in me, can I allow the poison of guilt? Can I allow the toxicity of of bitterness? No. I have to deal with those things. And then I so much appreciate this. You know, if I asked you which was more important, your physical needs or your spiritual needs, most of us would say Spiritual. But you know, Jesus doesn't see it as either or. He sees it as both. Isn't it fascinating that God does not overlook the physical needs we have? As a matter of fact, He ranked them above the spiritual. Isn't that fascinating? You know why? Because God knows everything it takes to live in this body. God knows everything it takes to live in this world. Remember what we said last week? Give us this day our daily bread. That's not Sarah Lee. (laughs) It's not a loaf of bread. He's talking about the essentials to life. And isn't it something that the same God... Say amen if you're listening right now. Isn't it something that the same God who well understands our greatest physical needs are met by His generosity. Isn't it interesting that the same God knows and understands our greatest spiritual need? He understands the need of your soul. And hear me, my dear friends. Listen, if God knows that bread is our greatest physical need, He knows that forgiveness is our greatest soul need. And there's some of you that are wrestling right now. There's some of you that you know, you're, you're, you're trying to process pain. And pain must be processed. But what we must understand is in the processing of pain, here's what we must understand. Sin creates pain. And the remedy that God gives, the remedy that God shares with us the remedy to sin, the remedy to pain, the remedy to guilt, the remedy to bitterness is forgiveness. And this is why you can offer forgiveness to anyone in your past. This is why you can offer forgiveness to anyone in your future. This is why you can offer forgiveness to anyone in the present is because once you recognize your Debt to God. And the grace you've received, that's when you can extend the same grace out. Is it easy? No. But is it possible? Yes. So number one. Number one. Forgive us our Debt. What is a debt? It's what we owe to God. Do you and I owe anything to God? Absolutely. We owe obedience. We owe faithfulness. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when you and I sin, and how many of you are sinners? Raise your hand. Oh, you don't, don't raise your hand. You got a blind pastor. You're talking about the blind leading the blind. Everybody just raises their hand. We're sinners, aren't we? Amen? Amen. Oh, let me, let me do it a better way. How many of y'all are married to a sinner? <laughs> we'll do marriage counseling later. It's fine. <laughs> We're sinners. And see, the Bible says that all that sin that accumulates in our life is called debt. But let me tell you the gospel news. Let me tell you why this is the foundation of the gospel. One of the scriptures that you ought to memorize is Colossians 2, verses 14 and 15. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says that Jesus took the debt that we owed. And listen to what it says. With all its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you know what happened when the very hands and the very feet of the Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to Calvary's cross? Your debt and my debt and all of its legal demands were nailed with it. Amen? Amen. And God pardoned us. He forgave us. In other words, he led us off the hook. And we did not have to pay For all of that sin debt that we owed, Jesus paid it all. Amen. Amen. You and I owed a debt that we could have never repaid. And Jesus Christ paid a debt that he never owed. The Bible says it like this. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. So what has Jesus done with our debt? Friends, he paid it. He let us off the hook. He paid it in full. You and I no longer owe our enormous debt of sin to God Almighty because of the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Now, number two as we forgive our debtors what do we do with the debt people owe to us in matthew chapter 18 verses 23 to 35 jesus tells a stunning parable jesus tells us that there was a man who owed an enormous debt to a king as a matter of fact In today's dollars, his debt would have been nearly a billion dollars. Could you imagine owing a billion dollars? It was a debt that he could not have paid with his entire lifetime. He could have never repaid it. And yet the king, in all of his grace... In all of his generosity, and all of his mercy, the king forgave the man's debt. Isn't that something? And then Jesus says that as the man left the king's presence, he was humbled. He was overjoyed. He was so thankful. But as he left the king's presence, he ran into another man, a friend, who owed him a debt. And do you know how much Jesus said the man owed? A hundred denarii. Now, how much is a hundred denarii? In the Bible days, a denarii was equivalent to one day's wage. In other words, this man owed 100 days wages compared to a billion dollars. And rather than showing the man the same grace, the same mercy, the same gratitude, the same generosity, rather than showing him... What he had just received, Jesus said he took the man and threatened him and said, pay me what you owe or I will cast you into the debtor's prison. Remember what we said? It's easy for us to see that man's sin, isn't it? It's easy for us to see that man's failure. But could it be that some of us have the same Attitude? Could it be we have the same actions? That here we have received the richest grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet we've not extended the same grace? What does it mean to truly forgive? You know, it takes minimum grace to forgive someone when they say, I'm sorry. But doesn't it take maximum grace when someone's not sorry? Can you forgive someone who's not sorry? Can you forgive someone who truly don't deserve to be forgiven? See, sometimes we focus on the wrong things. See, the gospel does not ask the question, Do I deserve forgiveness? Because do you know what the Bible answer would be? No. Rather than asking, do I deserve forgiveness? No, what the gospel asks, is God gracious enough to forgive? And the answer is yes. You should ask yourself the same question. Don't ask yourself, is that person deserving of forgiveness? Because they may very well not be. But see, the real question The real question is will you offer the grace that God offered you and forgive them? Friends, this is the remedy to bitterness. It's the remedy to guilt. And today, I want to share with you, if you're someone that you're carrying a heavy load today, if you're someone that within your heart, you carry the weight of guilt, if you're someone that you carry the weight of bitterness, if you're someone that you carry that heavy weight of revenge, if you're someone that you carry the heavy weight of anguish, I'm telling you, the remedy today is the gospel of Jesus in your heart And it's forgiveness in action. That is the remedy that God offers today. And God will enable you through the precious Holy Spirit to give to them what they don't deserve. Just as you have received what you don't deserve. How do you forgive Let me explore this today because this is where where the rubber meets the road. How do you forgive? If you're going to take notes, let me just give you briefly three quick things of how to forgive. And my goodness, we may even make it to the buffets today before before the Baptists make it there. We'll never make it before the Presbyterians. I'll just, I'll promise you that. I'm not even out of my introduction before the Presbyterians are there. The United Methodists are on their way, probably, probably right now. But but we'll always make it before the Pentecostals, all right? We'll always make it before that. (laughs) It's fun being non denominational, isn't it? And we're not even in competition with the Seventh-day Adventists. They were yesterday, so forget that. <laughs> and I don't know what Lutherans do. I don't know. If you're, if you're a Lutheran, let me know because I don't know their schedules. Um, how do you forgive? If you understand the concept... The person who sinned against me does not deserve forgiveness. And neither do I deserve God's forgiveness. If you understand that concept, then how do you put it into action? How do you do what seems impossible? And I remind you, my friend, the Bible says with God, nothing is impossible. Number one, if you're going to take notes. Number one. Forgive freely. Forgive freely. Don't hold on to anything. Don't hold on to a thing. Don't hold on to past grudges. Don't hold on to past hurts. Don't hold on to past conversations. Don't hold on to imaginary conversations. You know what the Lord showed me a few years ago? The Lord showed me. When I have imaginary conversations with people in my head, am I crazy? But do you all do that? Am I the only one or do you guys have imaginary? You do too? Okay. I'm just making sure I'm not the only one. You know, it's interesting because uh, I think sometimes uh, people don't realize how often pastors get hurt. Let, Let me tell you something. You wouldn't believe how people hurt pastors. You wouldn't believe it. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, I'm telling you, I've been stabbed in the back so many times. Sometimes I think if I drink water, I leak. Okay. But, but, but you know what I want to remind myself? Hurt people are the ones who hurt people. So I have to let go of it. And you want the Lord... Reminded me. I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe some things people have said to me. You wouldn't believe it. Hurtful things. And, and sometimes, like any human, I replay those things in my memory bank, right? I go back and, ah, oh, I wish I'd said this. And Man, I tell you, I... And I have those imaginary conversations. And you know what the Holy Spirit taught me? The Holy Spirit taught me, Chad, every time that you have an imaginary conversation, let me tell you what that detects. Somebody hurt you and you're holding on to it. And the Lord taught me, you're not freely forgiving them because there's a part of it that you're holding on to. And you know what the Holy Spirit taught me to do? Whenever I began to have an imaginary conversation in my head, I try to stop it immediately. I try to shut it down. And I try to say, no, no, Jesus, I forgive them. And I let it go in Jesus' name. Number one, forgive people freely. Number two, forgive people fully Forgive them fully. You know, one of the hardest things that I've had to learn, even in my own marriage, I've had to learn, and, and, and I'll be honest, this is very recent that I'm trying to learn this. You know, one of the frustrations uh, in, in my marriage, um, uh, you know, I'll do something dumb or something and Sadie will get upset with me, and... I'll apologize. Anybody ever apologize? Now come on, talk to me now. Don't leave me in the dark. You get it? Blind man, dark, whatever. But I'll apologize. And what I'll do is I'll say, I'm sorry. I mean, it's not like I did it on purpose. It's not like, I mean, do you think I wanted to hurt you on purpose? You think that's my goal? I'm not malicious. I didn't, so I'm sorry. And I've never understood why when I say I'm sorry, she doesn't hear I'm sorry. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with her? But do you know what I've learned? If you're a man Say amen if you're listening, because I think we need this. And let me tell you, men, we're not the brightest, are we? Wives, if you get so frustrated because you tell your husband something, and he can't remember, and he always... Women, does your husband forget what you say? Well, guess what? Well, guess what? We're the reason they created instant replay, okay? We can't even remember sports. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> so I've never understood. I say I'm sorry, but she doesn't hear I'm sorry. So what is she hearing? Well, guess what I learned? Do you know what the Greek word for apology is? It's where we get our English word apologetics. And apologetics means to build an argument. To build a defense is literally what it means. And so often when I apologize, you know what I'm doing? I'm building my defense. And you know what? Sometimes, Listen, this will help us at work. This will help us with our children. This will help us with our spouses. It'll help us with our neighbors. It'll help us with our church family. Let me tell you, when we're wrong, you know what we need to say? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And so often our apologies really is just our defense. And our marriages would be much stronger if we would lay our defenses down, be vulnerable, and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Can we say amen to that today? See, there's a difference between apologizing and confessing. You know what the word confess means? Confess literally means to agree with. So, what happens is when we confess our sins to God, we are agreeing with God I have committed offense and I'm wrong. It's not only good to confess your sins to God, it's good to confess your sins to one another. And what happens when you have hurt your spouse or you've hurt your children or you've hurt someone you work with or you hurt a brother or sister in the Lord, listen, you are never wrong and you are never weak when you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's the strength of the Lord. And that's the difference between an apology that's apologetics, that's building up a defense, and repentance, confession, saying that you're wrong. Amen? Amen? And we need to learn how to forgive fully so when people do commit an offense against us, when they do sin against us, we forgive them freely and we forgive them Fully holding nothing back. You know what's extraordinary? Is there are people, no doubt, that you still have an angst against. You still have an ought against them. And you know what? They have no idea they hurt you. They have no idea that they offended you. As a matter of fact, I would guarantee you that there would be some people that I could sit down with you and I could say, you know, this person, they, they did this and this. this I, I, I'm, I have an alt with this person. And you would probably fully agree with me and say, Pastor Chad, they're a horrible human being. My goodness, I can't believe they would do that to my pastor. And then if you went and confronted them, you know what they would probably say? I don't even know what you're talking about. Isn't that how we are sometimes as humans? Can you forgive people who willfully sinned against you as well as those who may not even know they sinned against you? Forgive freely. Forgive fully. Lastly, forgive forcefully. Now, what do I mean by forcefully? Let me tell you a quick story. When I say forcefully, what I mean is don't wait for the emotions to come. There's some of you that Satan is deceiving you right now. Satan makes you, somehow you you think in your head, I will forgive that person when I can feel forgiveness. No, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. Sometimes you have to choose to forgive whether you feel it or not. And I'm telling you, the feelings will come later on. See, here's, here's what I'm talking about. You be led by your faith, not by your feelings. You let your faith control your will, and then your emotions will get in line later on. Far too many of us are led by our emotions, and our emotions will lead us wrong every single time. You're not led by your emotions. You're led by your faith. And then as your faith leads you, your will comes in line, and then your emotions takes a while, but they get in line. Amen? Amen? Let me tell you a little story before I close. I read a book in January that just changed my life. It's called The Hiding Place. It's the story of Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom was a remarkable woman, and she lived in Holland with her father Casper, her sister Betsy, her sister Nolly, and her brother Vellum. And the Ten Boom family loved the Lord with all their hearts. When war broke out in Germany and the Nazis occupied Holland, they, uh, the Ten Boom family, Casper was 80, Corey was in her 50s. They made a choice that they were going to hide Jews from the Nazis and they rescued many but they paid a horrible price they were thrown into concentration camps Casper died within a week I can't wait to meet Casper in heaven Betsy and Corey were together through their concentration camp for several years they were sent to an evil place in Germany called Brooks Haven. Ninety thousand women died in Brookshaven. Brooks Raven. Betsy died there. Betsy said something that I'll never forget. She said what she learned at Brooks Haven. Brooks Raven. Raven. What Betsy said was: no matter how deep the pit. Christ is there, deeper still. Corey survived only because of a clerical error. Weeks later, every woman in the concentration camp was gassed. And the Lord allowed Cory to survive. A couple of years later, the Lord sent her back to Germany preach the gospel. Can you imagine going back to Nazi Germany? Can you imagine? And she's in a German church sharing the love of Jesus and sharing her experience. When a man walks up to her at the end of the service and extends his hand. Do you know who that man was? It was the Nazi soldier. Who made her strip down and take showers in front of him and humiliated her and grieved her. After the war, that man came to know the Lord Jesus and he approached Corey and he extended his hand. Do you know what Corey did? She did what every one of us would have done. She recoiled back. And in that moment, she had to decide what was she going to do? Was she going to forgive? And do you know what Corey chose to do? She didn't feel the emotion. By faith, she forced her hand out. And she shook his hand. Friends, some of you have let Satan deceive you. You think you have to feel a certain way? No. You have to by faith choose to forgive. I think sometimes, for whatever reason, we think that if we forget, if we forgive someone who's truly hurt us, we think well that just means we have to pretend like nothing ever happened. No. No. That's not what that. What it means is that God gives you the ability to move forward, to go on, to let go of the hurt, to let go of the bitterness. God gives you the ability to pray for their salvation and to pray for them. I think sometimes you take someone who was abused by a father. I think sometimes we think well to forgive him that means I have to start going to his house all the time or I have to bring my children around him or what no, no I think what it means is that you walk in the supernatural grace of Jesus and you have the ability to pray for that father you have the ability to let go of the bitterness and it not poison your soul Remember what we said, dear friends? God knows our greatest physical need. But God knows your greatest soul need. And that's forgiveness. And some of you have not laid hold of it. You've not received it fully because somewhere in your heart, in your thinking, you think you have to feel. You're waiting to feel a certain way. And I'm telling you, That's being led by feelings. Reverse that today. Lead with faith and say in Jesus' name, I let it go today. Do they deserve it? Wrong question. Did I deserve God's grace? Now that's the right question. And extend to others what God has extended to you. Last thing I'll say, you know, the Bible says that God remembers our sin no more. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, how can that be that God remembers? God's omniscient. He knows everything at all times. So how can an all-knowing God, an all-omniscient God knows all things, how can he forget sin? That doesn't make sense, does it? But do you know what that really means when it says he remembers our sin no more? It means he doesn't bring it up anymore. And see, for some of you, oh, oh, I want you to understand. I want you to hear what the Spirit of God's saying today. Some of you think you can't forgive because you don't feel a certain way. No, let me tell you, here's what it means. Remember. The sin no more. Not that you try to forget what happened. No, it means you don't bring it up anymore. You don't bring it up anymore. You don't replay those memories. You don't replay that hurt. You don't replay the cycle of that. No, you break it in Jesus' name. Amen. You say, Chad How? forgive. And I'll tell you, on the authority of God's word, feelings have nothing to do with it. The decision is to